you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? You awake now? Awesome. Uh, welcome to Sozo. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Hey, I want to thank you guys real fast before uh, go any further and just say thank you for your generosity. Um, you know, we, we prayed as elders to do this year for Christmas and, and uh, you know, we always try to, to uh, look outside of ourselves uh, around Christmas time around the end of the year. And we just want to thank you guys for, uh, for partnering with us. We, we, we had this opportunity through World Relief. It's really an amazing ministry, an amazing organization. And uh, we are excited to, uh, to be able to be a part of it. And uh, yeah, uh, about that little funny video, that was pretty funny. Um, uh, but we, we do want to let you guys know about uh, something else that's coming up as it relates to Christmas. And that is uh, our plans for our Christmas Eve service this year. Um, we love Christmas Eve around here, amen? It's a fun time. Uh, we always have a blast uh, when we are uh, when we're celebrating together. Typically, we we do something uh, on Christmas Eve. We have a service and we sort of pack everybody in here and uh, we share each other's germs and we say God bless us, everyone, and then we go home. But this year, being that uh, there's the uh, unknown virus of un- mysterious origins. Um, we're, 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 we're choosing, instead of doing just one big service, we're going to be doing two, uh, one at 4 p.m. and one at 5 p.m. So you got your options to be able to pick from. There's going to be some information coming up soon uh, about ways you can help us sort of make sure that we have those things separated. It's going to be an amazing service. There's going to be lots of fun, goofy kids. That's always the best part of Christmas Eve, in my opinion. Um, and uh, we'll be singing carols. We'll be hanging out together. We'll be pointing people toward Jesus. And as always, come on, we're going to be preaching the gospel. So uh, we really do want to encourage you to invite somebody, have somebody come and be with you uh, that night. Don't come to church alone on Christmas. Amen? Amen? Awesome. Well, we're going to launch into a new series this morning, a new series for us as a church, a little, little mini-series uh, this Christmas. Uh, we talked about it uh, a few weeks ago, and we're going to launch into it today. That series is called uh, You Can't Cancel Christmas. Amen? Can't cancel Christmas. And, and I just want to be clear, as we, as we start this, I want to make sure that I'm laying uh, a solid groundwork this morning. Uh, when I say that, when we sort of came up with this, when we were praying about this, when I was seeking the Lord as to what it is that we should be talking about this year at Christmas, the title here is not meant to be provocative or, or somehow, uh, you know, clickbaity or to push back upon anything. Uh, the reality is, my hope in the midst of all this is, is to give us a, a, a good sight of a clear vision about what Christmas is really all about. What the purpose, what the meaning, why in the world we celebrate Christmas. There's a lot of Christians. This time of year, inevitably, and I'm just going to talk to you right now, inevitably somebody's going to come up to me after the service and go, you know, I don't know if you know this. Which translates in Christianese to, I think you're dumb. Uh but Jesus was not born on December 25th. Really? 
pretty sure he was, and he grew up to be Santa. Um, I'm fully aware, come on, that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Uh, the, the reality is we don't really know when he was born. I know you watched a YouTube video and the dude showed you with the stars and the thing, and I, we still don't know. The reality is we don't know. The, the, the purpose of celebrating Christmas is not about remembering the, the, the exact uh, you know, day of the year, but rather it's about celebrating, remembering, and turning our attention toward the fact that he came. The fact that he, he, he broke through every barrier and he came to be with us, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us, that he is our Savior. So I want to just define some things here. When, we, when I say you can't cancel Christmas, what I mean is that God's sovereign purpose and his divine plan cannot be stopped. That's a good place for Christians to say amen. I mean that, that, that when, when God sets out and makes, uh, or set out his purpose and he created a plan to fulfill that purpose, that plan and that purpose cannot be stopped. The plan of God, what I mean by the plan of God, is that which he has, has purposed to fulfill the purpose of God by the person of God to the exclusive praise of God. Tracking with me? So let's, let, what do I mean by, by his purpose? What is his purpose? Well, let's define some terms this morning. The purpose of God. God's purpose is to glorify himself, that's important. God's purpose is to glorify himself in demonstrating the full reality of his holy nature, in creating, judging, caring for, redeeming, reconciling, and reclaiming his creation via mankind through the man Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Amen? Like, that's, that's like basic Christianity right there. That's just... That's like my best attempt to summarize the entirety of the Bible in one sentence, which is why there's lots of commas. You're welcome. God's purpose is to glorify himself in demonstrating the, the full reality of his holy nature in creating, judging, caring for, redeeming, reconciling, and reclaiming his creation via mankind through the man Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. So nothing can cancel God's purpose, follow with me here, nothing can cancel God's purpose because nothing can stop God's plan because nothing can stand against God's person. So when we talk about you can't cancel Christmas, I, I want to make sure that we're tracking together. See, we celebrate Christmas, come on somebody, because it is the down payment, hear me please, it's the down payment of what God promised in Genesis 3. If you remember, if you, if you hung, out in, hung around in Sunday school at all, uh, you, you've, you've heard the creation story that God in the beginning created all things, created all things good. In the midst of that good creation, he placed uh, man and woman and, and told them to be fruitful and multiply. He told them to care for and, and, and govern over the earth. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, decided instead of doing that good thing to rebel against God and reject him, and, and what we call that is in Genesis 3, the fall. Everybody say the fall. And here's the amazing thing to me about the fall. It's not so much that it happened, but rather it's God's response to the fall. See, God's response to the fall, God's response to man's rejection of him, God, man's rebellion against him, was not to reject man, but rather God's response to our rebellion was simply to come down and go searching for us. So Jesus is the down payment of that promise. See, in Genesis 3, God promises in that moment. He, yes, he brings judgment because he has to bring judgment. Amen? He has to speak the truth about that rejection and rebellion. 
But then in the same moment, he promises redemption. He promises to make a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with him. And, and Jesus is the down payment of that re redemption. It was the physical manifestation of the promise God had declared in Genesis 3. So, so let me, let me be, be clear. We don't celebrate Christmas as Christians because we just can't get enough awkward work parties. We just, you know, we just have to have a dead tree carcass to do something with in about six weeks, so we got to celebrate Christmas. You know, I just really want to buy ungrateful people crap they don't want or probably need. That's just why we celebrate. You know, I just, I really enjoy giving credit card companies my money. You know, somebody's got to keep Amazon and Walmart in business, so that's why we do Christmas, Right? But, you know, here's the thing. We, we, it's, it's easy, I think. Anyone can stand up and say that. Any, any human being can point out that that's not the, come on, the reason for the season. But here's what I fear. Especially this, this year that, that we will say, no, Christmas is about spending time with family and being generous to others and serving. And, and it's, it's about these wonderful things that we can do and remembering the blessings that we have. And listen, that's all good, but that's not why we as believers remember and celebrate Christmas. That's not why I'm saying it's impossible for us as believers to cancel our Christmas. It's not about any of those things. What, what, I'm, what I'm talking about is that we celebrate Christmas, come on, we, we remember this moment because it's the moment that Jesus stepped into our story, where the promise took its first step into physical reality. I love the way the Gospels talk about this. Each of the Gospels talks about how at the, at the moment of Jesus' conception and at the moment of his birth, light breaks into the earth. John says that when Jesus was conceived, light and life came into creation. Matthew talks about a star being, being put in the sky and wise men following that star to find Jesus. Luke talks about angels coming at every step of the journey and with them glory and with them inviting unqualified people to experience the reality of who Jesus is. And, and in the midst of all of that, that is, is, is the, the, the backdrop for us to understand that Jesus is stepping into his creation. So you can't cancel Christmas because you can't stop God from being God. And because Christmas is truly about God demonstrating his nature by stepping into his creation for our redemption. Come on, that's a good place for Christians to say amen. Come on, that, that's, that's what we mean when we, when we look at this, this series, when we take time this year to look at, at, at Christmas and try to understand it. My hope is that that is what we see, that, that Christmas is ultimately about Easter. Because you can't have Easter without Christmas. It's about our redemption, and so... In the, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at some of the practical things that we see even in the story of Jesus' advent and how, how there were many things that came against practically, physically, and, and even governmentally to try to stop Jesus from being able to come onto the scene. And we're going to talk about those in, in a few weeks, but, but I want to start out and make sure that we understand that just like cosmically, come on, just like cosmically you can't stop Christmas, you can't cancel Christmas, I want you to know that personally you can't stop his advent into your own life either. 
I need you to, to, to understand, to grasp the reality that when Jesus is ready to step into your story, nothing you can do can stop that from happening. So if you've got your Bibles, you thought I forgot the Bible. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. I encourage you, if you're at home and you're, you're watching us at home, you're, you're tuning in at home, you're with us at home, go ahead and stand to your feet as well. Open your window, make your neighbor wonder what you're doing. This is where we're going to be for the next few weeks, Genesis, or Galatians chapter 4, I'm going to read 1 through 7. Paul's speaking here to the church in Galatia. It says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But, everybody say but. That's a big but. That's a big but. But, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, he has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Church, let's pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you that your word is living, that your word is active. God, I thank you that your word is is moving in our midst. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would you would break through all the noise, you would break through all the confusion, you would break through all the chaos, and that you would come. That you would come and that you would speak. Lord, we trust and we know that you're, you are not a God that you should lie. And you don't change your mind. And so when you promise to never leave us or forsake us, we know that that stands true. And yet at the same time, we know that we lose sight of you. And so in asking you to come, what we're asking, God, is that you open our eyes and open our ears to see you and to hear you. Let us experience your goodness and your presence here with us. God, let us know that you have something to say to us in this moment. God, we are desperate to hear you. We need your word. Not, not, not just, not just the, 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 the past things that we've heard. God, we thank you for that which you have spoken. But God, we come to you desperate in this moment, like Jesus said, living off of the very word that you speak. And so as we turn our hearts to your word, we ask that in the midst of your word, we would hear your voice God, we boldly ask not just to hear, but to receive. Don't let us think that just because we showed up, just because we're here in this moment and that we are in attendance either physically or digitally, that somehow this has done enough to satisfy some uh, external religious code. No, God, we came desperate to hear you. We came in need of your word. God, let us hear and receive what it is that we hear and let that receiving turn into doing in our innermost being. God, so transform the way that we, that we believe that it changes the way we behave. We give you permission, God, to change our minds today, 
to show us things we've never seen before, to remind us of things that we've forgotten, to encourage us in areas that we need to press into you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you are a God who meets your people, that you are a God who transforms your people for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat as you say hi to somebody. Maybe greet somebody around you. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, This morning, I would like to talk to you under the title, To Ransom Captives. To Ransom Captives. Adoption, the adoption of the enslaved. To Ransom Captives. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. Go ahead and jot that down as we sort of explore through all of this. Paul here, we're going to be just spending the next uh, four times together, the next four weeks, just looking at these seven verses. Uh, it's a little, a little weird for me because I'm used to being able to preach through whole books of the Bible. So just to make sure that we kind of have some context because we're just sort of dropping in right in the middle of a story, right? So it can be difficult to kind of know where we are in the midst of this. Uh, the, 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 what we call the book of Galatians was actually like a, you could call it either a letter or maybe if you want to be hip, you could call it a podcast that Paul sent to a church. Paul's trying to communicate, trying to, to, to really shepherd and pastor this church that he started in the town of Galatia. And so he's, he's somewhere else. And so he, he sits down and he writes a letter. In all reality, we believe he didn't really write the letter. He dictated the letter to somebody else who wrote it down, but that's just the way that it went back then. And, and Paul has been speaking to this, this church, this group of people who have, who have come to trust in Christ, and he's speaking to them because there's rumors that he's hearing that they are, are doing two things that they're thinking about. Either some of them are going back to their old way of believing and their old way of behaving, or some of them are thinking that what they need to do is somehow grow up or mature or become better, better Christians. The way they do that would be to, to take on all of the burden of the Old Testament law. Not just the, the Ten Commandment part of the law, right, but, but all of the, the moral and the dietary and all of these sorts of things. And so Paul writes to them to encourage them to remain steadfast in where God has called them. He's pleading with them to neither return to their old rebellion nor to move on to some form of religion. Be them either Desiring to go back to being pagan sinners or pious saints, he says, no, you need to trust in Jesus. Amen? And so Paul says in this, in this portion, this little, this little pocket that we're reading right now, he makes it clear that we are either enslaved to the elemental principles or we are adopted into the family. Those are your only options. Those are the two states in which you live. You either live as one who's a a slave to the base things in the world, or you live as an adopted son. There's no no third way. There's no third option. I, I know that some of you might be offended by that, but the reality is that's what the Scriptures make plain to us. Those are the states that we find ourselves in. 
those outside of union with Jesus may think of themselves as free. They may think of themselves as, as good people. They may think of themselves as bad people, but they might, regardless of what they think, what they see, what they perceive, Paul here, the word of God makes it clear that all of us are slaves to low, lowly, lowest things outside of Christ. Elemental principles. This is an interesting little term here. The, the ESV says elemental principles, elementary principles. The NASB calls them elemental principles. Really, the idea here is the same thing. These, these, these elementary principles speak of the lesser forces in both, catch this please, the natural and the supernatural realm that are at work in our bondage and subjugation. Paul says that there's, there's sort of these, 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 these forces at work that are trying to keep you enslaved. They're both natural things and supernatural things. There's natural stuff. There's just the normal sort of uh, reality of, of the fallen uh, nature of the world that, that these people lived in. And so Paul's saying, look, those things are trying to keep you there. Outside of union, Outside of the freedom in Jesus, we are controlled by these, the, the, the lowest of our natural desires, is what he's saying. We seek pleasure in what we taste and what we can touch and what we can traverse in the experiences we can have. We, 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 we try to find our, our safety and our security and what we can acquire for ourselves. Come on, we try, to, we try to prop up our identity and who we think we are, or rather, more truthfully, who we try to get other people, come on, to think that we are. And we're driven by these things. Outside of Christ, we are driven by a desire to do and to achieve and to accomplish all of these things. We seek to serve ourselves what we need and what we desire by means of our own limited abilities and intellect. But the problem is we fail to understand that anything we can acquire by ourselves, we have to retain ourselves. See, anything that you, you rush out and make happen, you're responsible, come on, to keep that thing. And so we spend our whole lives, as it were, almost like we're chasing our tail when we're, when we're being driven by these base things in nature. But Paul here, by using this term, elementary principles, this Greek word, he's also speaking of the unseen supernatural forces at work as well. So outside of union with Christ, we are subject to the evil influences of the unseen realm that plot in secret to keep you in bondage. See, this is the, this is the part that, that's hard for people outside of Christ to really grasp. So I, I know it might go over your head, but I hope that in going over your head, it, 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 it inspires you maybe to listen and to lean in a little bit more. What we need to understand is, is quite simply this, that, that there is more going on than you can perceive with your natural senses. We might think, well, hey, I'm just sort of going along with the flow of, of what life is like and all the good stuff in life, and I'm just kind of doing what I want to do and following my bliss. But the reality is, the Word of God teaches us that there are actually forces at work trying to deceive you and plot and scheme and try to get you to be pulled away, all to try to keep you in bondage, all while you believe, come on, that you're free. 
Paul says outside of the singular elements of being united with Jesus, if you're outside of the adoption into family, the reality of your situation is that you are enslaved. I know that's really not a popular term right now. In fact, there's whole Bible translations that are being, that are being done to try to take the word slave out of the New Testament because it's offensive. Can I, just, can I let you in on a little secret real, just, just between you and me? It's supposed to be offensive. You're supposed to hear that and go, I'm not a slave. It's supposed to speak reality into the situation that you are unable to see. If the Bi- if, listen, if the Bible never disagrees with the way you see things, then you're not seeing things the way the Bible wants you to see things. It's supposed to challenge you. I love, I love it when people come up to me, whether it's after church or whether it's in a, in a, in a meeting or, or in a Bible study or in a small group, and they go, you know, I just, I just don't know if I, I can agree with what the Bible says there. They say that to me like I don't struggle sometimes with the same thing. Here's the truth. It's not about whether or not you believe it now. I challenge you. I, I try to say this all the time. When we tell you this, you need to rigorously Read and wrestle with your Bible. I don't mean like put your Bible in a headlock, okay? That's not, that's not what I mean at all, just to be clear. There's junior hires in the room. They're like, yeah, drop the elbow. No. What, what I mean by that is, is that when you come across those moments, when you come across those things, come on, have, am I the only one who's ever been reading and you're, you're just reading through and you're just having a good old time? Maybe you're like all proud of yourself because you actually got out of bed or maybe, you know, like you actually, oh, I do have the Bible app on my phone. I forgot. And you, you're reading it and you're all having a good time and then you come across something that just cuts the wrong way. In that moment, you have a choice. You can just kind of sort of skip over and pretend like it didn't happen. You can ignore that portion of Scripture and pretend like it's not even there, or you can wrestle with it. Because here's the deal. That thing is there designed by God, divinely designed to shift something inside of you. See, the reason I don't, I don't worry about telling people to wrestle with their Bible is because <laughs> this isn't going to change. You wrestle with this, and you change. I love it. I don't know who said it first, but, but I love the saying that hammer after hammer have been broken on the anvil of the Word of God. When you could try to hit it, you could try to beat on it all you want, you could try to, try to muscle it around and shift it and shape it the way that you want to. The reality is this thing does not change because it is the eternal, come on, outside the constructed confines of time, Word of God. And so the Bible says that we are slaves. It it makes no apology by saying that, listen, outside of Jesus, you are a slave. You might think yourself free, but the truth of what the Word of God says is that you are a slave. You're a slave because you've chosen to reject God and rebel against Him. Outside of Jesus, that's the state that we live in. And Paul, in this in this text and in the text before it and after it, sort of lumps these things together and says that that bondage takes two primary forms in our lives. It takes two primary forms in our life. Either it makes us religious or it makes us rebellious. Right? Come on, either it makes us religious or it makes us rebellious. And here's the kicker, church. 
you're probably married to the one that you're not. Isn't that fun? It's great. What do I mean by this? Religious people. Religious people are rule makers. Right? Anybody have more than one kid? And we have a religious kid, right? Like they're like they're the rule maker. They they want to like they want all the rules. Everyone has to follow all the rules. And if there's not a rule, they will write a rule. These are the saints. These are the good people. These are the morally superior people. These are the people we think we should invite to church with us because they'll they, they would. They, these are the people that we think you know if they would just pick Jesus, they'd make a pretty good Christian. These are people who tuck in their polo shirts into their dockers. Right? Come on. They show up to work on time. Religious people. Promises safety if you just obey the rules. That's what a religion does. You'll know your value if you just do these things often struggle with feeling superior to other people while all the while internally worrying that you're really not who you project that you are. Because the problem is you live with you and no one else is around, so you know the you that nobody else knows. Religious people tend to be racked with guilt. Always afraid that somebody's going to find you out. You live with very little security or assurance, and your life is consumed with trying to get to earn the approval of God and others. And while that might seem positive, Paul says that's all bondage. The truth is, I don't mean to get rude here, the the truth is what he says is if that's you, you are in slavery to demonic forces. Sweet little Grandma Betty, if she's outside of union with Christ is enslaved to demonic forces. If that doesn't get me at least two emails this week. (laughs) He said, my grandma has demons. I did. If she's outside of Jesus, she does. I don't care how sweet she is. I don't care how nice she is. I I don't care how many Bible verses she has memorized. The reality is, the scriptures make it clear that outside of union with Christ, we are in bondage, even if we are religious. The other, the other group are the rebellious group. These are the rule breakers. They also like to make rules, but only so they can break the rules. Anybody have a kid like this? It's fun when you have one kid that's a rule maker and one kid that's a rule breaker, and you just put them in the same room together. Just have a webcam up. It's fun. These are the rule breakers. These are the, the sinners. These are people who think they are morally free. Rebellion promises freedom, but it actually gives us only bondage. If you're a rebellious person, you, you, don't, you don't make rules, you don't obey rules, you object to rules. You live for experience and the feeling that no one can tell you what to do or control you. But in reality, your life is consumed with an animosity toward anybody who tries to help you. We tend to fall into one of these two camps. and I mean, everyone's sort of a blend, right? But we tend to fall primarily into one of those two. Go ahead and turn to your spouse and tell them which one they are. No, I'm kidding. Please don't, don't, don't do that. Do it at lunch. It'll be more fun there. Um, you'll be at home anyways. Um, 
We do. Opposites tend to attract. They tend to tend to go together, but they, well, we tend to, to sort of lean into one of these two camps in an effort to try to find somehow to find, our, to, find our, to find our joy, to find our security, to find our identity. We tend to gravitate toward either, either, either making rules or breaking rules. And the reality, what I'm trying to get you to see, what Paul's trying to get you to see is both of these things ultimately as you, as you press further and further in, because that's the problem, right? You try it a little bit. Let's, let's go with religion. It's really easy with this one. You go with religion, you try it a little bit, and then you fail and you think, well, if I just try harder. But what you don't realize is you're just digging the hole deeper. You're just tightening the shackles of slavery, of bondage, of subjugation in your life. You're only making yourself more of what you're trying to unmake yourself. Rebellion is the same way. You, we think if I can just have a better experience, then I'll be satisfied. If I can, if I can just get a, a better looking partner, if I can just get a nicer car, if I can just get more money, if I can just, if I can just experience a greater high, if I can just, if I can just, if I can just, and what you don't realize is all of those things are only leading you further and further into bondage. But here's the good news. Paul speaks into this as well, and he says that the only hope, listen, for both the religious and the rebellious is to be made redeemed, come on somebody, in Jesus. That's our hope. See, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but, but some of you think, some of you, this is, this is, this is okay, I'm just be real. This is most of the crowd that we attract, not all the crowd that we attract, but most of the crowd that we attract, not all, but most of y'all come from the rebellious side. I'm just being real with you, okay? But you are looking at the ground right now like, I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> I must be in the wrong church. I must. Okay, like, what I'm trying to get you to see is that your religion or your rebellion, regardless of how you're in slavery, manifests itself. Regardless, Jesus is more than able to redeem you out of that place. Jesus is more than capable. I would even go so far as to say that you can't cancel his redemption. Your, 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 past, your past bondage does not stop him from breaking loose in your life. Whether you are religious or whether you are rebellious, nothing can stop him from making you redeemed. I love this. It's what he says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. The whole reason Christmas happened was to change you from somebody who's religious to somebody who's rebellious to somebody who's redeemed. The whole purpose of this thing was to grab a hold of you. See, some of you think, well, I'm rebellious, so what I need to do is go to church and get religious. That is the last thing you need to do. <laughs> Jesus actually says, he says that that's what the Jewish leaders did in his day. And what he said, catch this, what he said was, you, he says, you go and you make a convert of a rebellious person, and you make him a religious person, and you make his situation worse. He says you actually make him twice the son of hell that he was before. Hello, religious people. <laughs> like, wait, what? Grandma Betty. 
Everyone's like, oh, you were with me when I said son of hell, but Grandma Betty, you're like, nope, too far. <laughs> Not laughing at that one. The answer for the religious and the answer for the rebellious is not to switch places. The answer is to stop being enslaved because the reality is you're just two sides of the same coin. The reality is that you're, 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 you're just manifesting your enslavement. Your past as a saint or as a sinner does not stop Jesus from making you a son. Come on. That's the promise of Christmas. That he came, that he broke through. That he, he didn't, he, Jesus didn't just come to sightsee. I heard a, 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 a pastor that I, I admire, I respect. He's way smarter than me. He has way more paper on his wall that he paid more money than I did. Those are degrees. People are like, paper that he paid money? That's what a degree is. I mean, really, let's be real. And he said, Jesus came so that we would know what God looked like. And I agree with that, but that's, that's not enough. Because this says that he didn't just come so we would know what God looks like. It actually says that earlier in Galatians. But that he actually came not just so that we would know what God looks like and we can admire him from afar, but rather he came so that we could know what God looks like and we can be reconciled back to him. And we're going to see this in the next coming weeks that we can actually be one with him. Become a part of his family. Be united with him in this big purpose that we talked about earlier. Your past sin doesn't disqualify you, beloved. It actually, believe it or not, qualifies you. It qualifies you. That doesn't mean that we should, we, should, we should rejoice in our past sinfulness. It means that we should rejoice, come on, in his goodness. So regardless, this is what I want you to hear, and we'll, we'll, we'll land here. Your redemption qualifies you for sonship, and all of your journey gives you a testimony for God's glory. This Christmas, as we talk about celebrating Christmas, my hope, my encouragement, my, my exhortation to you is that as you talk about Christmas, as people bring this up, come on, this is, the, this is one of, I'm going to be real, this is one of the easiest times of the year for you to share your testimony. Because all, all anybody else knows about Christmas is, is maybe they know, like, right, they know Santa and they know Rudolph. Okay, they, they know that, and maybe even, maybe even, maybe even they know baby Jesus. And maybe, maybe even they know baby Jesus grew up to be cross Jesus. And cross Jesus became resurrected Jesus. Probably they don't, but maybe they even know that resurrected Jesus became horse riding Jesus. With, that's my favorite Jesus, with the sword out of his mouth, tattoo on his leg, that's my Jesus. I like that Jesus. I just be real. I struggle with pet the lamb, feathered hair Jesus. I don't get that Jesus. I like sword, tattoo leg Jesus. That's my Jesus. They might know that story. They might know that story, but do they know your story? 
Do they know that you, they might have always thought of you, maybe, maybe you're a religious person, and so they always thought of you as this great, wonderful, you, you always follow all the rules, you never had any problems, and, and you've, always, you've always, come on, you've always secretly liked that they still think that about you. And maybe this is the year for you to get real and go, actually, you know what, that was all just a show. That was all just me trying to prop something up and propagate some lie that I was, I, I, the, the real hard part, come on, for religious people is it's not just that they're trying to get other people to believe that, that lie, it's really the truth is they're trying to get themselves, come on, to believe that lie. Maybe it's time for you to get real with people and say, actually, my testimony is that I was really jacked up and really good at hiding it. For some of you, come on, this is more my crowd, so let's, let me talk to my crowd for a second. Some of you have been redeemed, but you're still trying to make sure that everybody around you thinks you're still rebellious. Maybe it's time for you to open up your mouth and say, actually, man, let me tell you about what happened. Let me, let me tell you about what Christmas, what Christmas did to me. Christmas took me from being a rebellious, trying to find my own way, trying to do my own thing, trying to not let anybody tell me how to live my life, what to do, when to do it. And it turned me into a son who's so obsessed with my father that I'll do whatever he asks because I know he loves me. Despite the fact that I spent every breath of my life before he adopted me trying to tell him I didn't want him and he wasn't worth anything and I didn't need him, despite all of that, he still stepped in. He broke in when I didn't want him to. And he redeemed me. So I'm not a rebel anymore, I'm redeemed. I'm not religious, I'm redeemed. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. No, it's about being redeemed. It's about abiding in Jesus and allowing him to abide in you. This is the season, church, come on, to let our testimony shine. Because listen, they, 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 listen, they can shut down whatever they want. They've sort of proven that, haven't they? Right, like life, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, come on, I'm not saying that's not a statement against government or for government. That's, it has nothing to do, I mean, life can shut stuff down. Anybody ever gone to the doctor and got news they didn't want before? Life can shut stuff down. But you can't cancel, come on, the goodness of God in redeeming his people. So let's testify of that in this season. Let's make that known in this season. Let's not talk about Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen. Let's not talk about Santa. Let's not even just talk about baby Jesus. I refuse to say happy holidays. I say Merry Christmas because I keep Christ in Christmas. But do you share what Christ has done for you and in you? Or do you just slap Merry Christmas on stuff and be like, yeah, that makes me a pretty good Christian? Keep, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Let's just get in trouble. Keeping Christ in Christmas but not sharing your testimony is like trying to keep Han in Hanukkah. Okay? It doesn't have anything to do with it. Han Solo has nothing to do with Hanukkah. Okay? It's just not. It just, he doesn't. The reality is when we say we need to keep Christ in Christmas, what we're saying is we need to keep Jesus and the message of the gospel, come on, center in everything. Stand up.
I want you to listen to me now and hear me later. Because I don't know who this is for. But I was praying for you last night without even knowing who you were. Here's, here, I'm just going to talk, and, and, and I hope this is for somebody. You need to know that you are not what you once were. I talked, I talked some this, this morning about the enslavement that plagues humanity. The reality of, of religion and rebellion enslaving us. And the reality that those, are the, those things keep us in bondage to just base, low-level, pathetic, really, powers in our lives. Be them natural, be them supernatural. I, I talked about that, but, 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 but here's what I want you to hear. If you've been united with Christ, that's irrelevant for you. That's not who you are. And I say that because our, our behavior, our behavior tries to come and testify to us that we are still what we used to be. I know that's tough for some people to grasp, but, but the reality is do you, uh, we, we've got to get to a place, beloved, where we trust what he says about us even more than what our behavior says about us. We're in those moments where where we're not acting, come on, redeemed. We're acting religious. We're acting rebellious. We have to, we have to end that moment. Hey, wait, 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 this isn't who I am. That's not me. I'm redeemed. He's put his spirit within me. It cries, Abba, Father. Literally, that means it's, it's, a, it's a cry of an intimate greeting to our Heavenly Father. That's who you are. And some of you struggle with this so much. You think, you think you, you've bought into a lie that says you're still partially, partially religious, partially rebellious, and partially redeemed. Listen to me. God doesn't do stuff halfway. God doesn't, he didn't half save you, and then he's like, well, you better figure the rest out on your own. religious person. He didn't say, well, I'll save you, but then you keep working at that religion thing. I'll just save you just enough so that you can keep doing good with that religion thing that you've been trying to do for so long. Ah, you only need me to get you halfway. You can get yourself the rest of the way. Come on, rebellious person. He didn't say, well, I'll, I'll save you a little bit, and then you got to shave up and fly straight or else I'm booting you out. God doesn't do abandonment. He does adoption. God doesn't do abandonment. He does adoption. That's who you are. You say, you don't, preacher, you don't know what I did last night. I don't know what you did last night. But if you've, if you've been united with Christ, what you did last night is irrelevant because what you did last night can't cancel. Come on, what he did 2,000 years ago in coming and redeeming you. What you did last night can't undo what he did before the foundations of the earth where he put his hand on you and said, mine. always when we preach the gospel, I have to say, is that a license for sin? Absolutely not. It's a license for freedom. It's a license to have to never go back to that again, because it's not who you are. 
It might be who you once were. I'm not denying that. But I'm here to stand up as a minister of the gospel and say, if you have repented and believed, that is no longer who you are. Period. What he did for you, what he's doing in you, overrides whatever you're trying to do. And if you're here and you, you would say, well, hey, man, I, I'm not united with Christ. Well, then my, my message to you is that you are enslaved. It's the reality of your situation. You might think yourself very free because you can do whatever you want. You might think yourself superior because you've got your ducks in a row. But guess what? Your ducks are just as dirty and nasty as everybody else's ducks. They might be more organized. You might be a far more organized and linear sinner, but you're still a sinner. right now, what you are right now can become irrelevant. When by grace, through faith, you repent and you believe. Repent means simply to admit and abandon. Admit and abandon the, the, the futility and the reality of your religion or your rebellion or your custom blend of the two. like, I like to be rebellious on Saturday and religious on Sunday. Just get both things covered. If you're here, my cry to you, my prayer to you, my pleading with you, I'm begging you to admit and abandon your religion and your rebellion. Grandma Betty, if you're listening, abandon your religion. I love you. tell us that we believe, we embrace Jesus and we entrust our lives to him. We trust that he can take us in an instant from being rejected because of our rebellion, because of our religion, and in an instant move us and make us redeemed. And in that redemption, to be qualified for adoption as a son into the family. We're going to explore this next week. It's going to be good. But we invite you, if you're here and you, you've never done that, you've never repented and believed the gospel, I don't care how religious you are, I don't care how rebellious you are, that's what you need this morning. That's what you need every morning. That's what you need every moment of every bit of your life. We would encourage you I don't have magic words for you to pray. I'm not going to ask you to close your head and bow your eyes. Yes, I said that the way I wanted to. I'm not going to ask you to repeat after me because I don't have magic words. What I have is an invitation for you right now in this moment, in this environment, to cry out to God. Make a scene if you need to. Do it quietly in your heart if you can. To cry out to God and to ask Him, come on, to redeem you. with him about the reality of what you've been to be united with him to embrace him to trust him for everything
you're doing that, here's what I would encourage you to do. At least grab one of those welcome home cards and just let us know you're doing that. If you don't want to talk to anybody, I get it. I, I know for me, when I when this happened to me, I was a blubbering, nasty mess for like a good six months. So I get it. Maybe it's too much for you, but please at least let us know that if you're at home, if you're tuning in, do it online. Shoot us a message, whoever you can. Just let us know so we can rejoice with you, can celebrate with you, so we can help you in this journey, so we can welcome you. Come on, into the family. But maybe if you're willing to, if you're if you're in that place, we've, we've got a prayer team. They're down here in this little lit area by the little wreath back there with the lights. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to stand with you. They'd love to celebrate with you and welcome you home. That team's also over there. If, if you're going through anything in your life, whether you, listen, whether you're redeemed or not, if you're just going through something in your life, be it physical, financial, emotional, spiritual, practical, whatever it might be, we believe this crazy thing that the Bible teaches that when we pray, stuff happens. So we'd love to be able to stand with you and pray with you and believe God to move in your life. And they're over there and available for that too. We're going we're gonna to shift into our response. And as we do, we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate this morning. We're going to declare, come on, we're going to declare the reality of God's redemption in our life. Amen? I don't think this is a time for quiet contemplation. I think this is a time for bold declaration. And remember, come on, that he has justified us, that he has saved us. Let's, let's, let's celebrate louder than the memory of the last sin that we fell into. And let's remember his goodness. And, and as we do that, we, we encourage you to, to partake in communion, to remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. We, we take communion every time we gather together in this portion of our service. We take it together. Uh, we're doing that right now just in this season uh, with, with what I lovingly refer to as curing communion, the little pre-done cups, the wafer on the top, little juice in the bottom. If you're at home, uh, and you want to come by the church in the office, if you're one of our Sozo at Home people and you want to come by the, the church in the middle of the week and grab some of those, we're happy to give you those. Or you can have better grape juice and bread at home because they're less than desirable. I'm just going to be real. But it's not about what the grape juice tastes like. It's not about what the styrofoam tastes like. It's about remembering. You laugh because it's true. It's about remembering, come on, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Amen. So let me pray. And then we're going to worship this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are a good God, and in your goodness, you made a way even where there seemed to be no way. When everything in our life screamed, God, you still came, you still broke through, you still made a way. And so, God, in this moment, Lord, we choose. We choose to celebrate you, God. We ask that you grant repentance to those who need it. But Lord, also I pray that you give a reminder to those who need it of the reality of all that you've done in and through them. God, that you would be glorified in this moment. Lord, move in this place. Let the truth of your redemption speak louder than the experience of our rebellion and our religion. And let us remember what it means to be your sons. In Jesus' name. Church, let's respond to the Lord.